This is Novel Marketing. I'm Thomas Sumstat Jr. <laughs> I'm James L. Rubar. And this is the show for novelists who want to become best-selling authors. If you don't care no. how many books you sell, this is not the show for you. <laughs> That's right. But if you want to sell a few more than you have been selling, lots more than you've been selling, then you've come to the right place. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to find a good editor. And if you are planning to publish your own book, if you want to be an independently published author, this is critical. Uh, many self-published authors don't know how to find a good editor. In fact, this is such a common problem that it's given a bad reputation to independently published books that they're poorly written. And, and really, they're not generally poorly written. They're poorly edited because they didn't go through the same editing process or the, edit, or the author didn't know how to find a good editor, found somebody who was a bad match, somebody who didn't know what they were talking about, somebody who crushed their spirit and was so cruel and mean that they gave up on writing altogether. Uh, and whatever happened, it didn't come out with a highly polished book. And so we would like to help you avoid that mistake, not just for yourself so that you can have the kind of book that people want to read and can't put down, but also to help improve the reputation of independently published books everywhere. So, Thomas, that, that's such a good point because some of you right now are going, well, what does finding a good editor have to do with marketing? You know, Isn't that a different topic? No, it is the topic because the absolute best marketing tool you can use to become a best-selling author is to write great books. That's what sells your next book more than anything, more than word of mouth, more than social media, more than advertisements, publicity. The thing that will sell your next book more than anything is they read your last book and loved it. That's why this is so critical. That's right. Good marketing helps a bad product fail faster. So if your book is boring and people don't enjoy reading it, good marketing is only going to mean lots and lots of one-star reviews on Amazon. And ain't nobody got time for that. So <laughs> if you're going to write a book, you might as well write a good book. And the secret is there is no one that's able to write a good book. So it may be a little bit shocking, but even the books of the Bible, like uh, the epistles from Paul, you know that he had a, a what's called an amanuensis, basically somebody that he worked with on those. In fact, in some of the books, uh, it's even named who the name of the guy is. And he writes the notes in the end sometime. So if even the Apostle Paul, or if you're Catholic, St. Paul needed to work with someone to make sure that his books are ready to go, I'm pretty sure you're going to need to work with somebody to get your books <laughs> ready to go. You may be better. You know, I, who am I to say that you're not, you know, perfect in all that you write? But my guess is, is that a little bit of editing would really help uh, your book. And this is what New York Times bestselling authors, you know, on their 40th book, they're still working with a team of editors. And often that's what makes the difference between them and an independently published person is that they're um, only working with one editor. So, Jim, what are the different kinds of editors that you could work with? So a lot of you are probably familiar with this, so let's just hit the highlights really quick. But there are really three to four different kind of editors that you can work with. So you've got the developmental editor. By that, we mean the macro edit editor, the person that looks at the story from the 50,000-foot view and says, you know what, we don't need that building. Ooh, we need a skyscraper there. Oh, why don't we take and put a road in there? In other words, they're, they're big sweeping changes. Let's cut that character or let's amp up that character. She's really interesting. Act so two they, is too long or this character seems really boring. They, that, that's exactly right. It's it's the big picture edits. And this person is crucial. It's crucial because you change a character or you put in a new scene or you cut a character that can have huge implications on the book. And that's why having somebody that has a track record of working with big picture 
items is, is really, really important. And the this, next, wait, oh, go real ahead, quick Thomas, on developmental yeah. editors, this is the kind of editor that is the most often skipped by independently published authors. Uh, authors often skip to one of the later phase editors and they never get that developmental edit. And there's a great quote from John Maxwell. He's talking about the difference between leaders and managers. He's like, managers are, you know, you're going through the jungle and managers are out in front making sure the people in the front have the machetes and the people behind them have the food and the water and the caravan is moving forward. And a leader is the person who climbs up to the top of the tree and says, wrong jungle. <laughs> so uh, you can spend a lot of time making sure all the is in the right places and the words are all spelled correctly but if you're working on a paragraph that needs to get cut altogether or you're working on dialogue for a character that should have been killed off you know three chapters ago you're wasting your time and so a developmental editor not only helps make your book better but also can save you time not doing work that you're going to have to undo later on down the road and not to belabor the point, but in my mind, and it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this, Thomas, but the macro editor is the most important editor because a great story and great writing is the ideal. But if you have to choose one over the other, give me an absolutely compelling, I'm on the edge of my seat story and the writing's not so good. And we can give you example after example after example of where that has happened. Whereas if you have a beautifully, immaculately written book, but there's just boring stuff going on, it's not going to sell. I actually agree with you, believe it or not. So in, I, in some ways, I feel that as we work through these different kinds of editors, they get uh, less and less important in some ways. So if, if the story doesn't work, no amount of grammar is going to fix a broken story. Um, but it, that's not to say that getting the grammar fixed and whatnot isn't important down the road. So what's the next kind of editor? So the next kind of editor is the 1,200-foot view or the 1,000-foot view editor looking at, that again, that same landscape or street or city. That's the line edit editor that will take apart a paragraph and take apart a line and go, just simple stuff could be like, gosh, this sentence too long, let's break it up. Or, boy, you confused me on this one. Or I've had line editors that have said to me, Jim, you know what? What's going on at the paragraph, two paragraphs down, really, that's where you should move this uh, line of dialogue. And it's like, ooh, wow, they're right. Or they're going to say, you used the word turn um, seven times in the last couple of pages we need to cut some of those so they'll notice some of those that more. word i don't think it means what you think it means <laughs> what, what do you think it means <laughs> inconceivable <laughs> okay quick commercial break i read this book as you wish um i might have talked about this a couple episodes again oh my gosh it's about the princess bride great book if you're a fan of the film okay and if you don't so, know what the princess bride is take your phone right now push pause go watch the movie and then come back and then come back there's nothing we're gonna say that's gonna impact your life as much as learning about rodents of unusual size that's right that's right Okay, Thomas, what's the next kind of editor? So the next one you have is beta readers, um, beta reader editors. I'm not actually entirely sure what this is. In my writing process, I have the beta readers come in before the developmental edit where they're looking at a much more broken version of the story. But uh, what is a beta reader editor? Yeah, same thing. Exactly right, Thomas. And that probably should go, uh, that should, should have probably been the first editor we talked about. The beta reader, uh, reader editor, beta reader editor is... In my case, I have three people that I trust their opinion based on um, how widely they read, the genres they read in, their intelligence, and having worked on my past books. And so I will send out 
that, in fact, I just sent it out um, at the same time I sent in my latest manuscript or a few days after. And I basically said, all right, here's the latest manuscript. It's rough, but tell me what's working. Tell me what's not work is not working. And so this is to people who are not professional editors. But oftentimes you will get input from these core readers that you do not get from your macro editor. So I like to get a feeling for the true audience, I guess you could call it. So, so that's interesting. So you just sent your um, copy out to the beta readers basically at the same time you sent it to your developmental editor. Yes, so I get the input back at the same time, and so I'm taking input from my editors, and I'm also getting input from my beta readers. Okay, so in my process, uh, what I do is I'll send individual chap. Now, I'm writing nonfiction, so it's a little bit different, but I'd send individual chapters to my beta readers and on Google Docs, and then they would be able to insert comments, and we'd have little debates on the substance of mm -hmm the chapter and so they're like i don't think the, uh, the theology is correct on this or this doesn't follow or oh here's some argument against what you just said i don't know if i agree with it and we go back and forth and i actually enjoyed of all of the phases of writing discussing my book with my beta readers was my very favorite phase because they were challenging my ideas but they were people i had vetted and respected their opinions and, and they were nice they're, they're not like the haters i get on my blog that's way less fun <laughs> right um, right but, they're trying to help you but i guess the difference thomas would be in in my case i'm writing a novel where if i just gave them three chapters they're going what that doesn't make sense but if they read the whole book they go oh it tied all back you tied back and you tied that up and now it makes sense why you planted that. Whereas the nonfiction, don't you think it can stand, the chapters can stand on their own a little bit more? I agree. I, um, for novelists uh, that I've talked with, the ones that use beta readers, some of them, they'll send it to their beta readers and get the feedback and they'll do another revision before they send it to their developmental editor. So they, the beta readers are kind of like a pre-developmental edit because um, they know what they're looking for from a reading perspective. But uh, this is one of those, there's no hard and fast rules. So the fact that you do it in a different way, I find really fascinating. Uh, so yeah. uh, your yeah. mileage may vary. Uh, so, But <laughs> right. we need to get to, to the next kind of editor, which is a copy editor. And this is when people think of an editor and when a lot of independent published authors, when they buy or hire an editor, this is the only kind of editor that they hire. And this is basically a grammar Nazi. Uh, they go in and make sure the commas in the right places, that they try to get you out of passive voice, that, you know, they fix all those million rules that you learned about in English class and then forgot about. Um, and the more obnoxious of a grammar Nazi they are, the better of an editor they become, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And these people, these people are gold. They really are. Because I'm not, um, I take Stephen King's advice on grammar. And that is in his book on writing. He says, you know, if you're widely read, it's kind of osmosis. You get it for the most part. And, and seriously, I know what a noun is. I know what an adverb is. And that's kind of where I lose it on grammar. And so it is nice to have those copy editors who really understand the language who can come in and go, oh, need to do this, need to do that. So they are also uh, really valuable to your novel. So once you get your book copy edited, the next step, and you've incorporated those edits, the next step is you get it typeset. And occasionally, uh, well, I guess always, errors get introduced to the manuscript during the typesetting process. And this is the way it gets laid out on the page. And so there's a final editor. And this I believe really needs to be a different person than the than the copy editor because yes. you want. In fact, I really believe each one of these editors ideally is a different person. So I had uh, my uh, developmental editor for my book was a young guy who got the courtship 
community. He, you know, he had a homeschool background. He had a lot of homeschool friends, but he was also kind of in the, you know, kind of more normal public school community. And he was able to give feedback on what would work and what wouldn't and really helpful for developmental edits. Whereas the copy edit was uh, a guy by the name of Frank Ball, who, you know, is this like grammar guru. (laughs) He didn't know courtship really at all. He's not from that community, but it didn't matter because he knew what a good sentence looked like and what a good paragraph looked like. And so he was able to make my message clearer from a communication perspective, but then somebody different proofread it. And they, what the proofreading is done on the actual like PDF pages of the final paper book. And they're looking for not just grammar issues, but spacing issues. Uh, because often when you're trying to get the letters to all be on the page in just the right way, occasionally you're like, there's like five spaces after this period. That's way too much. And they'll help with that sort of really nitty gritty details. For for my latest book, The Five Times I Met Myself, uh, which just released, and please, please uh, don't buy more than 50 copies just so everyone has a... <laughs> I heard your first chance. printing already sold out, and the book just is like still releasing. Uh, that, so that's can... true, yeah. The, the first printing sold out be, before the book was released, which is really cool. But um, yeah, so okay, I'll give a plug for my book, The Five Times I Met Myself. is It just released. But what I wanted to say was my editor on that book, Erin Healy, a brilliant, brilliant editor. She did the macro edit, and she also did the line edit. And she has skills at both those. Um, she's competent at both those things. But she did not do um, the copy edit, and she did not do you know the proofreading. And so, like Thomas says, they, there are specialties where some people are really good at this, and some people are really good at this. All right, so where those are the kinds of editors. So now you just realize that your budget maybe for editors needs to be a little bit bigger. But this, there's two things you don't waste, you don't scrap, uh, script money on: good cover and good editing. If those are the only things you spend money on, they are worth every penny. Because uh, if you cut corners on the cover or you cut corners with the editing, it really shows in the final manuscript, and it makes all of your marketing afterwards so much more difficult. So. Uh, one probably the number one place people find an editor is at a writers conference. So, uh, Jim, you are a guru at writers conferences. What do you recommend uh, when it comes to looking for editors at a writers conference? So you'll see these editors at writing conferences, and the first thing I would do is watch them, and, and I mean that sincerely, not stalk them. I didn't say stalk. I said I said watch them because. It, just because they're an editor does not mean they're going to match up with you personality style wise. Watch them, see how they interact with people. Do as you look at them, do you think, yeah, yeah, I think they're the type of person I could work with. And and at that point, you introduce yourself, you get to know them a little bit, you you find out a little bit more about them. Um, but a lot of times at writing conferences, the editors will be acquisitions editors. Sometimes they edit. Most of the time they do. Sometimes they don't. But at the very least, you can ask them for recommendations. Who who would you work with? Um, who should I work with? Do you know of freelance editors? Those are great questions to ask. Some uh, writers' conferences will have opportunities for you to sit down with freelance editors and get a free 15-minute consultation on your manuscript. And this can be a great way not just to get feedback on your manuscript, but to figure out what kind of editors give you uh, feedback that you find useful. And that's often free or included in the price of the conference. And so... Um, Jim's right in that the editors everyone wants to sit down with are the ones from the big publishing houses, right, that will give you a $10,000 advance or something like that. But if you're planning to independently publish, you don't want to talk to those folks because they can't really help you. You want to be talking with the freelancers instead right. and figure out which ones can help you and which ones can't. And we'll tell you in, in a moment what to look for 
in an editor to help tell the good ones from the bad ones. But uh, some other places to find a good editor, a recommendation from a successful author, especially. An and then that's really, that's even better than talking to the editors because you want to talk to the people who the editors are editing for. Correct. And a lot of times, like Thomas said, at writing conferences, you'll, you have editors there who are actually working for traditional publishers. And so they cannot do freelance. The successful authors, for example, me, if somebody came to me and said, well, Jim, who would you recommend as a, as, as a, as a freelance editor? With my current contract, I have an editor in-house at Thomas Nelson, and I also have a freelance editor that works on my book. So the two freelance editors I've worked with on my first seven books are Julie Schwarzberg and Aaron Healy. And I would recommend, oh, you know, six stars for both of those editors. So those are people I can recommend to other folks. And so ask other authors, hey, have you worked with a freelance editor? What are their names? How can I get in touch with them? And ideally, you want to look for an author who's writing a similar kind of book. Because yes. just because somebody can edit romance yes. and they know what makes for a successful romantic story doesn't mean that they're ready to jump in and do high science science fiction. <laughs> uh, so uh, editors, savvy ones, tend to get a specialty where they focus on a handful of genres. And so you want to find an editor who knows how to help your book be successful in the genre that you're writing. Um, and then uh, for there's some online marketplaces. Uh, I know uh, Kathy Ide's got a good one at ChristianEditor.com. If you're in, if you're writing for the CBA market, where it's a bunch of different editors and they've got reviews and they're vetted, and so it's it's hard to get in there, but it it's an easy way to get uh, a list of editors and um, you can send them sample writing. So a uh, one big tip: give each editor a portion of your writing to edit, and you want to send them all the same. Things. So what I did was I hired them to edit all of chapter one, which was more than what's normally done. Normally it's like five or ten pages. But I got them each to edit the entirety of chapter one, and I was able to compare apples to apples their edits to see whose edit was the most useful and who who caught what mistakes. It was very, uh, very helpful for picking uh, the right editor. Okay, so not edit. Not all editors are made the same. Is that true? Can't you just like any editor is good? With What's the difference between the editors, Jim? Okay, it looks like we've lost Jim. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, d d uh, by their fruits, you will know them. And what you want to look for in an editor is their commercial success. How successful have they been financially uh, with the books that they have edited? And so we have five levels of editors-ish, uh, five-ish levels. So level zero is an editor who's just starting out, and they've never edited a book before. And this is the highest risk because you have, why is that risky Thomas because <laughs> you have no idea if they're any good or not uh, <laughs> they've got no track record now every editor has to start out here um, and generally as we go through these levels they're going to get more expensive and so an editor who's never edited a book before often editors start off doing a handful of free edits you know for friends kind of to get some credibility um, built up unless they're with some sort of company or agency that uh, helped them get started. So if it's your first book, I would just say you don't want a level zero editor because you don't know how 
to help them and they don't know how to help you and it's too it's a blind leading the blind and it's just going to be a disaster so you want someone who's edited a book that you can buy on amazon which leads us to level one which is an editor who's only edited for self-published books and often with these kinds of editors only some of those books are available on amazon so they'll give you a big list of books that they've edited for but many of those books never made it to publication even in self-publishing because the author gave up or wasn't quite good enough or or what have you Uh, the next level level two is an editor who's been editing for a while and occasionally freelances for traditional publishing houses. So um, publishing houses have fewer full-time staff editors, and they're tending to have more freelancers that they bring on for specific projects. And so uh, a level two editor does some freelance and some traditional published books. And this is kind of the sweet spot often um, when it comes to cost per quality, because this is somebody who really knows their way around, and they've been a part of that traditional world, so they know what those quality controls look like. All right, level three. Uh, this is an editor who used to work for a traditional publisher, and maybe that publisher went out of business, or they don't work there anymore for one reason or another, but they had a full-time job as an editor where every day, all day, they edited books. And uh, this is also a really good value uh, editor where they really know what they're talking about. The, the, in it, especially because they understand the inner workings of traditional publish. They've probably worked on hundreds of books, and because publishing is an ebb and flow business. These are the type of editors that might be slammed for three months, just you know, no time whatsoever, and then they have three weeks where they don't have any projects. And so you can they they're they're in demand, but not so in demand that their pricing is too expensive for you to afford. And that gets us to our level four editor. Say they've edited New York Times bestselling books. They tend to be more in demand, so their prices are higher. They're schedule is busier and so yes you're getting a high quality editor if you're at level four but you probably can't afford them and timing is going to be a lot tougher and then level five is an editor who's edited multiple new york times best-selling books so lightning has struck twice and let's say there's a hundred new york times best-selling authors every month there's probably only 75 new york times best-selling editors every month because there's a, a kind of a small group of editors who edit the New York Times bestselling books. They know what it takes to, to create the kind of book that gets to the New York Times list, and they're the ones who get it to that level. And they know how to do it, and they do it over and over again. And if you can get this kind of editor, uh, it's going to make your marketing a lot easier <laughs> because they know uh, what it takes to get a book that people want to buy and want to tell their friends about from a writing perspective and can help you get there. The final thing to look for in an editor, we already touched on this, but do your personalities um, match up? Because they're going to be coming after you and going, you know, here's the red pen. Uh, And some people are like, hey, I don't care. This isn't personal. Just tell me what's wrong and what's right. Other people say, wow, I need a little bit of sugar with my medicine. And so make sure your personality style works with their personality style. And their editing style works with your writing style. So uh, as you become more comfortable as an author, you get a, a feel for your voice. You want an editor who can work with your voice and is a champion for your voice and isn't trying to change your voice into some other different voice, um, but is still able to help improve your voice. So, and yeah, and we let let's stop. I know we're running out of time, Thomas, but let's stop there because this is important. I've been very fortunate in the editors I've worked with. In the end, they've said, "Wow, we feel strongly about this," but in the end, it's your book. What do you want to do, Jim? And there, so I have been very fortunate to work with wonderful editors. But I have friends that the editor will come in and rewrite whole pages. 
and and cross stuff out and say you can't do this you have to do this not option not let's talk about it but you have to do this and that's probably not the type of editor that most people want to work with it needs to be a collaboration it really is a short-term marriage on this particular project I had a friend who's writing a book uh, for women and she had a male editor and he just hated her book and wanted to totally scrap it and start over and was ma- wanting major, major rewrites uh, from her. And this was not her first book. It wasn't her 10th book. She'd written a lot of books and she knew that her book was much better than this editor thought it was. And so it was a traditionally published book. So she appealed to the publisher and said, please give me a different editor who's a woman who gets it, the, the issues that I'm talking about. And so they gave her a new editor who was a woman who understood the book and it was a breeze after that and she got it she understood what the author was trying to say and was able to work really well so sometimes it's just not a good match and this editor was somebody that i knew who was a good editor in general but he was the wrong editor for this women's issues book right uh and so uh just because so when you say no to an editor it doesn't mean they're a terrible person it could mean they're a terrible person but probably not editors the kind, think about the kind of person who's an editor. They're willing to do a lot of the work on the book for almost none of the credit. So they're often a humbler kind of person. And so a lot of them are really good people, but you got to find one who's a good match. Okay, some places not to find an editor. The number one mistake is you hire a friend. <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> I've got an English degree. <laughs> I can edit your book. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, yeah, you do not want to break in somebody with an English degree and try to teach them the world of publishing. And... Uh, let's say the edit goes poorly. If it's a friend of yours, you're risking your friendship. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's and you're you're hiring them because they're your friend, not because they're competent, arguably. And so that can be a mistake. Now that doesn't mean once you hire an editor that you're enemies with them, but you don't want to have your best friend edit your book. I think that that is a uh, a very very common mistake I see self published authors make, and it very rarely turns out well. Uh, you don't want to hire the editor who is doing a lot of marketing. Like you go to a writing conference and they're, hey, hey, I can edit your book. Or they're always posting all the time on Loops and Facebook. I can edit. I can edit. The the good editors, like we were saying earlier, they're they're booked up. They have windows where they're not booked, but they they're busy. They're busy because word of mouth is the way. Uh, so many editors, freelance editors, get their business. Now I will say, editors occasionally will have surprise openings. So. They scheduled somebody for November, and that person didn't get their manuscript ready in November, and suddenly they're free, but they're only free for November, and then for the next six months they're booked, and they may make some noise. But yeah, if they're having to beg you to edit their book, it's probably because they're having a hard time getting word-of-mouth sales, so just um, buyer buyer beware. Um, So someone who loves to read and has always wanted to break into editing uh, so so that they can give authors a piece of their mind, that's not the kind of editor you want. You want somebody with some experience who can who's been down this road before and he can help you be successful. But if you have friends that are saying, oh, you're writing a book. Oh, I want to support you. I I love what you're doing. Let me help you edit. How do you answer that question? I would make you a beta reader if if I value their opinion. And and not only a beta reader, but here's what I did for a friend of mine who was saying that to me. I said, great. I love it. In fact, I'll, I'll introduce you to people if you're really serious about this and tell you what, I will send you my original document, my original draft. I'll send you my macro edit. I'll send you my line edit. And then you can see how this is done and see if this is something you want to do. And that makes them feel involved. They're in the game. They might be making comments, but you're not entrusting your baby to them. Yeah. 
That's good. You you wouldn't want a doctor who's never delivered a baby before to deliver your baby, uh, unless perhaps there's another doctor in the room keeping an eye on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, and so why would it be any less for your book? Okay, so, uh, Jim, do you have any final tips for us? Well, just I, I'd, I'd like to echo what you said, Thomas. Most good editors will say, hey, send me a page and I'll I'll give you a sample. Compare apples to apples, and that will give you a really good feel for the editor you're going to work with with best. And it's worth paying money. Like, I really wanted to pick the right editor, so I hired editors to do a longer edit. And I think that was money well spent, even though I only ended up using one of the edits. And one of the things I realized as I was having, you know, editors I'd already vetted. I went through these stages. One editor was giving really kind of nitty-gritty editing on the sentence level. I was like, ooh, this guy's... Uh, would be a better choice for copy edit and this other person who's you know inserting lots of comments and big picture stuff is better for a developmental edit and so I was able to be able to fit the right editor into the right spot during the process and uh, I was very happy with the way it turned out uh, the editor team and if you buy a copy of Courtship and Crisis they're listed in the back uh, which I was very I, I really believe in this because I, I believe the artist should sign their work and the editor is is invested in the book in some ways as the author is and so them knowing their name is going to be in the back uh, we had a whole credits page which I I'd like to see take off uh, with more authors doing that uh, where they have credits pages um, if you have some tips on uh, editors uh, how to find a good one or some recommendations of some you know websites that maybe list editors feel free to post them in the comments at novelmarketing.com slash 71 for episode 71 Hey, Thomas, question for you. Uh, Have you ever wished that you had, say, a machine or a robot to promote your book while you're sleeping, while you're watching TV, while you're off doing whatever? Yeah, I've wanted robots to do all kinds of things for me, like uh, dishes and vacuuming. Yeah, Yeah, but stay focused, Thomas. We're talking about your book. Wouldn't that be great if you could find a robot to do that? Okay, I've got the solution. It's called My Book Table. Yes, yes. <laughs> Folks over at Author Media, you might know some of them, Thomas. They've got this app called My Book Table, and it helps boost your book sales while you're doing nothing, right? You're doing nothing. You're not working. You're not even paying attention, and it is helping you sell books. So what I suggest is, folks, go over to mybooktable.com and check this thing out. And I'm wondering, Thomas, can they get any kind of a discount? You know, Yes. I know if you use the coupon code Novel Marketing, it's all one word, and you get 10% off of my book table if you get the pro or developer version. But the free version will be free forever, and you can try that out at mybooktable.com and see if this could help you sell more books. Very good. And I think it's time for the iTunes featured review. Thomas, take it away. All right. Vicki V. Lucas, author of Toxic, says... I read tons of marketing books, and I'm always very disappointed that 99% of the book applies to nonfiction, with a clip, quick blurb about marketing fiction tacked on at the end. Vicki, I feel you. That's why we started this podcast. Uh, Thomas Somerset Jr. and James L. Rubart presenting, uh, present great marketing advice for fiction and nonfiction in an interesting manner. I'm excited to hear new podcasts and applying their tips to my life. This podcast is a must, all caps, uh, for any author who wants to sell books. So Vicki Lucas, author of Toxic, thank you so much for your review on iTunes. And if you'd like to hear your name and your book mentioned on Novel Marketing, All you need to do is leave a review with your name and the book title in the review. It doesn't even have to be a positive review. Let us know what we're doing good. Let us know what we can improve on. We love the feedback. We keep teasing you for those negative reviews. We still haven't gotten any. We're serious about putting the negative reviews. So uh, don't be mean. But what do you not like about the podcast? Let us know. Leave us a review and we'll feature your book too. 
You've been listening to James L. Rubart and Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you novel ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between.